The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah, you want it? All right, and welcome to the Redneck Tech Podcast. You may have noticed that I am not Caleb. I am Ryer, and I'm doing the intro. That is because Caleb is out and about uh, with all the beautiful people, all the cool people, all the important people out on the ATA show floor. I am not cool, beautiful, or important, and so I am in the hotel room uh, with my buddy, Clay Currington. Who is also not as important as Caleb, hence hence why we are both here in this beautiful uh, hotel with a beautiful view of Indianapolis. It is a beautiful hotel. It is. Uh, It is the Hyatt, and behind me I've got a beautiful view of the city of Indianapolis. Never been here before. It's a nice city. A little chilly. It's not as busy as I thought it would be. Um, Especially for ATA time. Yeah, although I, I don't think a lot of people are here. So the reason that I'm not on the floor today is because uh, the first day media was not allowed in. Even though if you go on YouTube today, and today is the 9th of January, there are people posting YouTube product review videos from ATA 2020, but yet media was not allowed in. You let me know how that's possible. Yeah, there's some loopholes, definitely. But we are good Christian folk, and we, we don't, we don't bend the rules. We follow those rules. Yeah, we're black and white. And uh, so I got to eat a nice continental breakfast this morning while Caleb was on the floor, and I got to hang out, and uh, we got some steak and shake, all that good stuff, and Caleb was working. I got to sleep in a little bit. I watched some, watched a little bit of TV. It was a nice morning, real nice morning. But tomorrow the work begins. I'm excited to... Uh, Get out on the ATA show floor. But while we had a little bit of downtime, Clay and I decided that we were going to do a question and answer podcast. So that's what we're going to do. I would say what episode it is, but we, and by we, I mean Caleb decided we're not doing episode numbers anymore. Uh, we're not going to announce them because they may we, not they go may, out in order from how yeah, they may. Order. We may think that they're going to go out a certain way, but we may change our minds later. So we're allowing ourselves the flexibility well, to got a good reason. decide that in post. So we are going to go through these. Uh, we have a couple of questions that we didn't get asked, but we have been asked before, and we didn't get to cover them wholly in depth at that time. So we may cover some of those. just depends on how long we ramble on here. I'm known to be a little wordy, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, the first question we have is from Hunt underscore Pod on Instagram, and that is DSLR versus mirrorless. Looking at entry level specifically for stills and 4K video short videos. So here is here's the long story short. There's not a ton of differences between DSLR and mirrorless as far as your real basic technological uh, specifications go. I mean, most of them are going to be doing about the same frame rates, about the same resolutions, uh, most of the same kind of things like that. Uh, A lot of the differences between them are going to be usability, some ergonomic features, and things of that nature. Um, I, I... the FS7 I run is technically a, de- a mirrorless, but I assume that when you say DSLR versus mirrorless, you're really looking at the difference. I'm sorry. I'm such a horrible host. My phone just dinged because of a text message. Wow. Shame. <clears throat> I I assume that what you're probably trying to get at is like a uh, Canon 5D Mark IV versus a Sony A7R three or an A7S two or, uh, you know, you got the Panasonic's... Um, Panasonics are big in the mirrorless. I know Canon tried to jump into the mirrorless, they and so far I've factor. not heard good things about the EOS Rs. Correct. Um, 
it seems like most people who are running mirrorless are running the Sonys, the Sony Alphas. Uh, I've heard good things about those GH5s, that series of GH4s. And am I missing any others? Um, Nikon, they have their Z6 and Z7. Do you know much about those? I no, really don't. The big, the big difference you're going to have in mirrorless and DSLR is a DSLR is going to have an optical viewfinder, mm-hmm. and a mirrorless is going to have an electronic viewfinder. What that electronic viewfinder is going to allow you to do with pictures is whenever you change a setting, that electronic viewfinder or EVF is going to almost act like a TV or a monitor. So when you change your ISO or your shutter speed or whatever, whatever your picture is going to look like at those settings, you're seeing it real time in that viewfinder, meaning you don't have to try to guess as a new photographer or Mm -hmm. videographer what your setting is going to look like. So basically, if you look at the back LCD screen of your camera, when you change settings and your image changes, that's what is going to happen to your, to the screen inside the electronic viewfinder when you're taking pictures. So as a newcomer, um, I would definitely go that way. I started pictures on a Canon ADD, which is DSLR, and getting used to that, having the optical viewfinder, I hate taking pictures on my mirrorless, the a7 III with the electronic viewfinder. Really, you don't like it? I don't like it. So I actually end up carrying three cameras. <laughs> because I use both the FS5 and the A7 III for video, and then I end up using the Canon for pictures. So, yeah, when when I started with the I had the 70D was what I started mm-hmm. with for pictures, and I did not understand how the metering worked inside of the viewfinder. Once you so understand I would never shoot with the viewfinder. I always shot with the live view on the back. Once until you understand I it out. metering, like had you understand how to use a meter and an optical viewfinder it's basically just going to tell you when your camera is exposed correctly and you're mm-hmm. going to have the right settings but there's a lot of times that i will underexpose for a reason or i will overexpose for right. a reason because i know what i can do with it in post um and that just comes with learning it with time but and I mean, you still guess and check yeah uh, still on the dslr i still yep. you know you go okay here's exposed correctly uh shoot Boom, image review, I'll, I'm mm-hmm. going to underexpose. I want more Correct. sky detail. And depending on what meter setting you have you can in your camera, you can set the metering to recognize a certain section of the image is exposed correctly or the whole image or a certain auto-focusing point is exposed correctly. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily um, analyzing the entire frame. It could be analyzing just right. a certain part of that frame. And the other things I think you're going to be looking at, DSLR versus mirrorless, um, weight is a big one. Battery your, life. your DSLRs are going to be heavier than your mirrorless for the most part. Uh, battery life, the mirrorless are notorious for being very bad with mm-hmm. batteries. They are getting much, much, much better. A7R3, I th- they haven't, was it the two or the three that was just horrific? The A7R2 and A7S2 were god-awful. But when the they when they came better. out with the A7 III and R3, they gave it a bigger battery. And, I mean, I use it for weddings, and I go through two batteries in a 10-hour day shooting 4K all day. That's not bad. No, not at That's all. That's not bad so. at all. Um, the other thing with the mirrorless is going to be uh, mirrorless, I think, in my opinion, and it really it's, – it's a very fine uh, differentiation, but I think that if you're going to be doing video, I think – the mirrorless is a little bit easier to run video-wise. You're going to get zebras. You're going to get focus mm-hmm. peaking. Peaking is the huge one. Another thing with mirrorless is you can charge those with an external battery pack. You can't do that with a DSLR? Nope. Not the, I mean, not the ones I've used. Huh. So, like, when I take a wedding, I'll just carry one battery, and I'll put, a like, a, f- a portable phone charger in my back pocket with a four-foot cord and plug it right into the camera on the gimbal and never have to change batteries. Oh, wow. So... Yeah, uh, and peaking, for those of you who may not know, is when uh, the setting that in your viewfinder, and this is only on mirrorless, the DSLRs won't do this, when you are focusing, when you are when you, when some, a subject comes into focus, it will be outlined in a red or a yellow or a green uh, color. And you've probably seen that in any of the behind-the-scenes pictures that we ever post of looking at the viewfinder of the cameras, that's what that red is. It's the peaking, and that's a lifesaver. It makes pulling focus really easy, especially for somebody like me. I don't have the best eyes, 
And so I either have to be really close to the, to the screen or I need the peaking to be able to see what's in focus. And on the fly, when you're running and gunning, it's really nice to just be able to go, okay, that person's face is red. It's got the red outlines. Hit Boom, record, they're in focus. Hit record and let her eat. And, uh, Speaking of eating, if you hear any background noise, Caleb is watching us podcast and eating Subway at the moment. He just got back from the showroom floor. so He's tired out from being from being with all the cool, be, important, being important, beautiful people today. today. <laughs> <laughs> he said we're doing a great job. <laughs> uh, all right, so is there anything else? I think that's uh, it, without getting too technical. And, and the thing with the DSLR versus the mirrorless, too, especially for entry level, there's – there, there's almost uh, equivalent DSLR and a mirrorless for all the way through your budget. Uh, you can go to like the Sony A6000, I think, and those are really affordable. You can also do a can, and that's a mirrorless, or you can do a Canon 70D, 80D, or are they in the 90D They just came now? out with the 90D. And those are really affordable. I mean, and as always, you can get a used camera, especially mm-hmm. one of the older generations of something. I mean, since... Yep. Since they've got the 90D, you can find an 80 or a 70D for pennies on the dollar for really some, for cheap someone because somebody lo- has sold that to get the new one. For someone so. that's looking to get into it and they've never run a camera before, I would push them towards the, the mirrorless. Just for pictures and learning pictures, having that EVF yeah. is awesome. I mean, I love it. I just don't like looking through it after using my Canon for so long. Yeah, I think... I think uh, it's really a matter of personal taste and what you're doing more and, and what you like. and Because um, you can definitely do it all with whatever camera. You can film and take pictures with both. Uh, I think the DSLRs are a little better suited for photography and the mirrorless are a little bit better suited for video. Uh, but it's a really slight edge one way or the other. Uh, the other thing I forgot to mention actually is that a mirrorless camera will have an actually silent shutter. Correct. So there is silent shutter options on on your DSLRs, but the shutter is mechanical, so it will make some noise. And especially in really quiet environments, even the most silent silent shutter option on a DSLR may still be a little noisy. Um, oh, DSLR, Caleb said that we should tell you what DSLR stands for. Digital Single Lens Reflex. And so basically... In my understanding from the one photography class that I took in high school, what is happening inside the DSLR is there is a mirror that is pointed at a 45-degree angle, uh, taking light from the lens and then reflecting it up into the viewfinder. And when you actuate the shutter, that mirror flips up, exposes the sensor, and then it flips back down. So that's the noise that you're hearing when a DSLR goes off. Uh, You can silence it to a certain extent, but there's always some noise there. If you go on a silent shooting mode on a mirrorless, it, and I don't know scientifically how it does this, but it's a fully electronic shutter. There's no moving parts. It just scans a sensor or something, and uh, it makes zero noise. So if noise is a factor, that could be another reason to go with the mirrorless. Yep, LCD viewfinders. Uh, We talked about that just a minute ago. Caleb said he didn't want to be on this podcast, and he's over there. He's over there talking. You want a mic? We got a long cord. We can run you a mic. He wants the peanut gallery. He finds joy in this. This is a better question for Caleb. No, too bad he's not on the podcast. Will you guys ever start to make your own products? And this is from 330 with a bow. Will you guys ever start to make your own products? Wireless cameras, camera arms, wireless mics, uh... Who better design this stuff than people who use it for a living? That looked like Caleb a give, is giving no. us a definitive no, very and no. I can probably tell you the reason. We do not have time for that. Nor, we do not have the resources for that. Nor the knowledge. Uh, we don't have the technical construction. It it's and it costs a fortune to develop and 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 manufacture those things. So no, I I think that our passion and what we want to do is more on the using those things side and we'll leave it up to the smart people and talented and created creative people who like to work with their hands to figure out some of that stuff uh let's see i think that's all on the stickers the instagram sticker and we have a couple more on the post itself let me get to that 
All right. I don't know how to say this name. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at names. So I apologize to anybody. I'm real bad at pronouncing names. Bo, Bo Maples. Okay, I'm glad I went to your profile and tried to pronounce it that way. I don't know how to pronounce your Instagram handle. Bo Maples, S-C-E-O, I think is what it is. And uh, he says, uh, cover different video resolutions for different scenarios, like TV-based versus web show-based, and what to record in slash what to edit in for a 4K project and HD products projects. So the main thing I think TV versus web is going to be um, – you're more than likely going to be constrained to a 1080 uh, output on TV, and it's going to need to be 30 frames a second or 29.97. And that's because you are ba- you're constrained by whatever network you're sending that to and what their requirements are. There are a v- few 4K networks. That's basically the NFL channels is 4K. Uh, that may be a couple others, but... Most TV channels are going to be 1080. Or uh, there's some, a some, there's some, some 720. 720s still, yep. which is just your standard HD. So 720 is HD, and um, and full HD would be the 1080. Uh, I think what was that, Caleb? We got Outdoor Channel and Sportsman's is 1080. 720. Are they? Mm-hmm. Outdoors 720. Yeah. Oh. I would have thought they were 1080. Well, Mm-mm. so probably you're going to be looking at 720 outputs then for for TV. Yeah. Uh, but I think the frame rate is the most important because you can shoot yeah. you can shoot something in 1080 or 4K and down res it into well, yeah, you, 720. You and I just filmed for the same TV show and they wanted everything 4K. Yeah. Um, the the only thing I would say is if you're worrying about buying a 4K camera because you want to be able to shoot 4K to export it in 4K, you're wasting your time. Because 99% of people cannot look at something and tell me whether it's 4K or 1080. And most screens that people are watching things on are showing it in 1080 anyways. Right. So unless you're looking to shoot 4K so that you can punch in to 1080, like, like I know you both shoot 4K for your interview so you can punch in. And things like that. Sometimes. Sometimes. But other than that, it's all 1080. Yeah. Because there's an editing 4K sucks. It's so hard. If you're not, unless you're proxying or cutting down the resolution when you're editing it. So and you have to store all that 4K footage somewhere. Yeah. If you're, and you're basically shooting, it's going to take for this one minute of video of 1080 is equivalent to two minutes yeah. of video. In if you're 4K. looking to make something for YouTube or Vimeo or something like that and you don't have 4K, you don't need 4K. The only reason to upgrade to 4K is because a client needs it, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that the, on, the only real reasons I, I really would use 4K is, like you said, cropping in post. Um, it's nice to have the 4K so that if somebody requests it and they want their stuff done in 4K, you can do it. Uh, but I do not think that it's necessary. And that's another question. This, I guess this is almost, we can answer both these questions at the same time. Uh, Jake and, and, and still, hopefully I got that right, or close. Uh, he wants to know if you think that 4K60 and 1080-120 are necessary for a web show. And the answer to that question is no, it's not necessary. But they uh, nothing is value. nothing is necessary. You don't have to do slow mo. You don't have to have 4K. You don't have to have a red uh, to tell a good story. You can tell a good story with an iPhone. You can tell a good story with a handy cam. You can tell a good story with a 1990s mini DV camcorder. Uh, what it comes down to is getting the shots to tell your story, having a good story, having a good subject, all of those things. Uh, Now, does it add value? Does it give you some options for cool shots? Yeah, Uh, shooting in in 4K60 is going to give you a little bit of leeway as far as recomposing in in post if you wanted to, or if you wanted to down-res to 1080, it's going to be a little bit sharper, but... Will people notice that? They may or may not. They may notice that it's sharp, but I, I don't know if they're going to be like, oh, man, that's that's super sharp, uh, especially watching it on a phone. Yeah. Uh, especially watching on a phone or an iPad. 
it it's already so small that it it's going to look pretty good. Uh, shooting it in sixty, that is that's a creative choice in how you want it to feel and and look as far as motion blur in your shots. And I say that uh, because when there's, I guess, a few different standards as far as uh, frames per second go uh, across uh, movies and TV and, and web shows and website or web videos. And that is most Hollywood films are filmed in 24 frames a second. And we're very used to seeing the motion blur that's associated with 24 frames a second. You can go and, and look at YouTube. There's actual videos that give you a side-by-side comparison of what I'm talking about. Uh, it's mostly you don't notice it. You're not really going to be able to say, oh, that was filmed in 30, that was filmed in 24, that was filmed in 60. But your brain kind of knows, and that's why if you're going for a more filmic look, you're going to be looking at probably shooting in a 24 frames a second, uh, which is going to be a shutter speed of 50. And that's affecting how much motion blur you're getting in your shots. Uh, TV is in 30. And uh, you're going to be shooting at probably a 60 shutter speed. And so there's a little bit less motion blur in that. And it has more of the TV film or TV feel, I'm sorry. And then if you're shooting in 4K 60 frames a second, your shutter speed is going to be 120 and uh, you're going to have even less motion blur. Now, the reason that 60 frames a second is popular sometimes is because you want that sharpness. I know if you're filming a sporting event or something really fast, that 60 frames a second gives it a lot more clarity. If things are happening very fast, it makes it a little bit easier to see all of those really fast movements. That's why maybe uh, the NFL might film in, in 60 frames a second, or when you're playing a video game, you want 60 frames a second as your your screen your screen frames per second. I don't play video games, so the, I don't really the, know what it's called. The but downside to that is if you're not filming with filming something that is very fast moving, like sports or uh, like racing, like dirt bikes or NASCAR mm-hmm. or something, and you are filming in 60 frames. Like if you're just filming an interview, it does look kind of off. Yeah, it, and you can't really put your finger on it, but, but it something just looks, looks a little off choppy. because it looks very choppy because it's recording at a faster faster shutter to get rid of some of that motion blur. Mm-hmm. But what you're filming isn't fast enough to have the motion blur to get rid of. Right. So you're you're almost adding something by trying to take something away that's not there. Yeah. So I think that those are all creative decisions that you have to make uh, before you go and shoot something. I know that we shoot a lot of our stuff in 24 frames a second because a lot of it is web output, and you can film however you want for web. It doesn't matter. Uh, When you're shooting for TV, you have to film 30. That's what TVs take. And uh, if you wanted the 60 for something sports-related or for the ability to slow it down in post to give it just a little bit of slow motion, that would be a creative decision. Same thing with filming in 120 frames a second. We don't film everything in 120 frames a second. Uh, We don't. uh, Caleb told me the other day that he's been doing less and less uh, slow motion, high speed. And I think that it, it again, is does that add to whatever you're trying? Does that add to the story that you're trying to tell? Are you just doing slow-mo because it looks cool? Or are you doing slow-mo because it adds something? It, It... pulls out an emotion, it makes something uh, more interesting. Yeah, using slow-mo just to say you can use slow-mo should not be your reason of using slow-mo. Right. Yeah, yeah. slow motion, what I tell people, and I am you sure not, you don't want a mic, Caleb? I'm not the most, the most creative person, um, but what I try to tell people is if you're not filming something that's super fast, then there's no need to have 120. Because, like, if you're, just say, for instance, I'm filming you walking down the street. If I put that in 120, it's going to look so unnaturally slow, you're going to be barely moving. Yes. 
Caleb said he likes kill shots 120 because that arrow is going super fast that it almost looks real time because it's going so fast and you're slowing it down that it, it looks cool. But just filming someone like climbing up a tree stand in 120 or um, something like that, that's something you could film in 60 to slow it down a bit and stretch that clip if you have to. But filming something that is already naturally slow in slow motion makes it look unnaturally slow, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it's just a creative decision, and yeah. it's what emotions you want out of that. Um, there's only there's only a few emotions that you can really get with slow motion. You're going to get um, you're going to get that epic feel. You can get a suspenseful feel. You can get a um, you know you can make like a little bit of a sad feel. Yep. Maybe if you film something slow in slow motion, you'll get that really sad, dreary type feel. Yeah. And some of that's editing. You can mm-hmm. you can spice those things yep. up. But um, if you want more of a really hectic, really action, really uh, adrenaline-fueled uh, segment, you may be better off filming everything in real time. Or, and you've seen it in movies, where they film, they film something at a, uh, like at a faster frame rate. Than is, than is normal, mm-hmm. and everything looks really, really right. quick and jittery and, and, what, what I would and almost, all over the place. What I would almost urge people to do is don't do this for a client video if you have clients, but if you're just filming your buddy, go out and film something all in 60 frames. Mm-hmm. And then when you go back and edit it, see how much of it you actually use for the slow motion that needs to be in slow motion, and next time you go out, only film those in 60 or 120. Yeah. Because especially with the, I know we did the, handy cam episode and we're running the the sony fs5 and 7 and things like that you don't have to go all the way into the menu system to change that from 24 or 30 to 60 and 120 it's the push of a button that you've already preset mm-hmm. so it's not it's something on the fly all you got to do is stop recording hit that button to start recording again and you're filming in 60 or 120 so almost figure out what two or three clips per video you need that need to be slow-mo and then just film those instead of filming everything in 60 in case you want to slow it down. Yeah, and it's just a case of, yep. of being cognizant of what you need and what you'll use and and always keeping the story in mind. Mm-hmm. It's important to keep the story in mind all the time. If if you're shooting with the story in mind, it really helps just narrow down, okay, will this add to the story? Will this, Or am I just doing this because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do, that's what people want, you know? And... <laughs> Uh, he's in the peanut gallery. Caleb is. He he keeps refusing a mic, so I really I we yeah. could just we can, uh, he's we can hear everyone can hear your echo, so they can hear everything you're saying. What we could really do is just start talking crap about Caleb, and he can't do it. He can sit over Hopefully there. Hopefully, maybe he'll leave. No, no, we can't. Sure, do don't that. you have some type of meeting you should be in? <laughs> um, and this is not to say that slow motion isn't cool. Slow motion's freaking sweet. It's awesome. There's some cool stuff that you could do with slow motion. When used correctly. When used correctly and when putting the project correctly and, you know, when the whole project is not slow-mo. The whole, purp- the whole purpose of it is it, it's a tool, just like time lapses, just like drones, just like they all filming have- things in s-log for a super stylistic color grade. They all have their place. Just like sliders, everything. Oh, I love a slider. Oh, I, I love a slider. Do you? Oh, my God. Wow, you got really passionate about the slider. I love a slider. I've never. <laughs> I love a slider. I this is the happiest I've seen him all day. We were at Steak and Shake, and we had a milkshake, <laughs> and he wasn't even as excited as he is right now about I'd, this slider. Tell I'd me digress. about these sliders. No, it's all good. I really? You're not going to? Different different oh, podcasts, a, a different day. Oh, sliders. <laughs> He's not going to talk about them? Come on now. No, I digress. What? <laughs> what's the uh, favorite? What's do you have a slider I, shot in your head that stands out that you're like this low, is the coolest one that I've done? Low. Yeah, mm-hmm. just right on easiest the way to get super low and add motion to a shot. A slider, yeah. I love it. But right. anyway, and you do do you use that a lot on your on your wedding stuff? Mm-hmm. I Where care. do you use that in your wedding? I use it for a lot of B roll. I use it when I want to get some type of tracking shot that I want to keep straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use it a lot in the venue when I want to show the whole venue and make it look grand. 
I'll go super wide and super low and make everything look a lot bigger, make it look a lot wider. So you're shooting like up through mm-hmm. everything? Mm-hmm. Okay. I can see that. The I same thing with real estate. I'll do that with real estate too. Make a room look a lot bigger. Go 12 or 14 millimeters and get super low. 12 or millimeters. Or go super high. Wow. I have a Tokina 14 to, or a 10 to 14 that has no fisheye effect on it. Really? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we already kind of touched on this. Are people really even getting the experience when watching on their phone? No. And let me tell you something. It hurts my heart every time I press export and it goes to YouTube or Instagram and I see it on I see my stuff on there and I know that people are not seeing it the way that it was shot and the way that it looks on my monitor. Uh, Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. Facebook is almost one of the worst. Instagram is pretty terrible. Uh, YouTube isn't as bad. Vimeo's the least worst uh, as far so as compression best. goes. So the best. The best at not compressing. Yeah. Not the least worst. <laughs> I think I, I, it, it's difficult sometimes because when you, you watch the footage and it's very sharp and vibrant on your display and it's never as sharp or vibrant uh, on any of those platforms uh, and especially on a phone because it's just shrunk down so small, all of the little details really kind of get lost. Mm-hmm. Your and file size almost goes down a third of a what lot. it was when you exported it. Yeah. Yep. So are people getting the full experience? No, definitely not. Um, I've done some. I've done a couple projects where I mix them in a 5.1 system, and uh, that's definitely a whole other experience for the viewer. And people are not having a 5.1 experience with phones but i really don't do that too much that's a whole other long workflow that takes a ton of time a lot of time uh but no it's not the full experience but i think you have to just live with that because that's that's the world we live in right now that's the media space we live in things are really shifting and not shifting they have shifted to phones, maybe iPads, sometimes computers, rarely TVs. Uh, I know Unless that, they're streaming their phone or computer to their TV. Yeah, I, I know I have a Samsung smart TV, and I'll watch YouTube on there sometimes, but a lot of the times I'm watching you. 90, mm-hmm. 90% of the time I'm watching videos on my phone. Yep, I got uh, a 55-inch TV in my room, and the only time I use it is I proof videos on it. Yeah. To get it off my computer screen, I'll proof it on a 55-inch. But other than that, I never use it, ever. Yeah, so really people are not seeing things in the in the full resolution or the full glory that it was original. But that's just kind of how it goes. And I think that I'm the only person who notices that. Um, unless you're in the production space and you've seen footage that hasn't been compressed for Instagram or YouTube mm-hmm. or Facebook, then it all looks it 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 just all that's that's the quality of video that you're used to. So um, I don't think that people notice, and I don't think that people are really tuned into the fact that it's not the highest quality because that's just the they've, quality of video they're used yeah, to. They've never they haven't seen it. Um, but it does hurt a little bit. It hurts Correct. my heart just a touch Correct. that I have to send it out into the world like that. The one thing, and if anybody out there has a fix to this, I've been looking for one. When I do a lot of color correction and then export it, it always ends up flatter after the export than than it was when when it was in in my timeline. Flatter on your computer or flatter? Just in general. Like the colors are not mm. 100% like they were yeah, when I had colored Premier it. Premiere doesn't give you color options when you export it. Just, they just give you video and... Yeah. And I think I've, I've just come to the conclusion that that's just a part of the compression process. But if it's not part of the compression process and somebody knows a little hack or trick or to get around that, let me know because I'd be curious. Um, but like I said, I'm the only one who notices that. So Yeah, but you're, you're super OCD too. I am. Yeah, I am very, <laughs> <I'm> very OCD. <laughs> 
they say that there is never a finished project, only deadlines, and I think that I would be I would be the poster child for that. I could sit and tweak edits, sound, color forever and ever and ever. Clay's pointing at Caleb. See he that does Caleb? The, he could do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Caleb's a lot better, uh, and I think that I think he has more instincts than I do. Um, he's broken himself of the OCD. I have not. I have not. So it's tough for me when I have to really pump something out. Uh, it's very hard for me to try to overcome a little bit of those OCD things that are yelling at me in my brain. Um, but I think that is, again, that comes down to how much how much value is spending that time adding to to that story or to that production or to to us is it worth the time to do that and uh, I think for internet outputs it's really it's really not making a giant difference so I try to tell myself that and I still end up being finicky well, with and it. And it would also be different if we were working on TV shows where we film all fall and then had six months to edit them. Yeah. But I, and right now I think the what is important to people especially online is Seeing it yesterday. Yes. Especially people want to see that hunt yesterday. Especially in the era of like Dudley, for instance. Dudley Instagram stories ninety nine percent of what he does. Mm-hmm. So if someone sees and he's someone that posts five, six times a day. So if someone sees him making a stock on an Insta story and then an hour and a half later, uh iPhone photo of a big buck or a big elk or something he killed, they expect to see that very soon. Yes. So in order to and he knows his followers expect to see that soon. So in order to make both of those parties happy, you have to bust it out to the best of your ability as quick as you can. Yep. Uh, second part of Bo Maples' question, what to record in, what to edit in for 4K projects and HD projects? So recording in, if you want to record in 4K or 1080 or 60 or whatever it may be, that you just set that before your project. Uh, you determine where it's determine the output, and that will determine how much flexibility you have with, you with just, those creative the, choices. The rule of thumb is you cannot edit in a higher resolution of what you shot in. Yeah, you can always edit in a lower resolution. You just can you can't shoot something in 1080 and edit it in 4K. Right. You can't edit something in 5K and shoot it in 4K. Yeah. So figure out your output, and then shoot to that. You can overshoot. Uh, I think definitely I would err on the side. You can overshoot with resolution. I wouldn't overshoot with frame rates because you can't fix the motion blur from frame rates. Uh, You can down-res something without losing anything. If you shoot at 60 frames a second and 120 shutter speed, you're stuck with however that looks. Correct. So uh, just be careful and cognizant of that. Uh, And then as far as what to edit in, that's that's a Premiere Pro thing. You go in there, and when you open the project and you create a timeline, you just make sure you want to create a timeline that matches whatever the output is going to be. So if your output is 4K, 24 frames a second, you're going to make sure that you're setting those sequence settings at 4K, 24 frames a second. Uh, if you are going to export at 1080, you're going to set that sequence setting to 1080, you know, 24 frames a second, 30 frames a second, 29.97, whatever it may be, um, and just run and gun from there. And then when it comes to export, you just export in whatever uh, whatever output that thing is going to. Premiere is really good with having already optimized presets for a lot of the social media outputs. So if you want something that's going to YouTube and it's 1080, there's a preset for that. Uh, in the export dialog box. Same thing with Vimeo. Same thing with a YouTube video. Uh, I don't think they have Instagram presets. No, but Instagram finally changed where you can add something to IGTV and it not be sideways and, yeah. cro- and cropped. Thank so. God. Thank God. That was the worst. That was the worst little mini trend that tried to that people were trying to make happen was the vertical Instagram TV. Um, I, I know people. Um, a fellow not a fellow but a acquaintance in college he went through a little spurt of shooting everything on his dslr vertical Mm. that sounds really hard to shoot video vertically a lot of reframing and rotation and editing i can imagine 
Yeah. Um, so there's that. I know if you are if you do a lot of things for Instagram and you really want to be making sure that your output is the same as Instagram's preferred um, codex and everything like that, you can Google it. I'm sure there's there's somebody out there who's figured out what's the best for mm-hmm. Instagram. So just Google that and pull it up, and then you can make a custom preset for it. Uh, really, I use the I think I just use the YouTube. I use the YouTube preset yeah, for I do Instagram videos. I do everything custom. Do you? I never change anything, but I would rather change it myself than have the computer change it for me. Mm. Just me. But I figure the engineers at Premiere yeah. are probably better at all that oh, technical 100%, stuff. 100%. So I, I let them figure it out. And like I said, it's social media, and people don't really, I think, see a giant difference. No. Uh, you probably see it if you're pixel peeping, but yes. don't be doing that. Don't be pixel peeping. Uh, Bow Maples again. Also, when is Copeland Creative or Redneck Tech dropping merch? I don't know. We don't know yet. We have some designs, but we don't know. Uh, we don't know when we're gonna. We're, when when we are when we are going to drop those. Um, when we do, we will announce it here on the Instagrams. We will put it on the Instagram stories. We'll probably talk about it in the podcast. So y'all will know when we drop that merch. And uh, we expect everyone to get some. Not really. But it'd be cool. I like seeing I like seeing uh I like seeing people with the Copeland co- Creative cool. stickers and, and it'll be cool Copeland to see Creative how many hats Copeland around. Copeland Creative hats we see this weekend. Yeah. That'll be very cool. Um I like that. I, I I'll see pictures of people out doing stuff in the Copeland creative hats and that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. And then a lot of them aren't even filming. They're just hanging they, out. Yeah, they just have yeah. it. So Yeah, no, that's real cool. So guys, if you have a Cope Creative hat or if you have a sticker and or anything like that, take pictures, tag us in it. I like seeing it. I like to see it. I don't Caleb likes to see it. Caleb loves to see it. Um I think that was all for the questions that we had, uh, we had one yesterday on our uh, little Q&A thing that we did on the truck on the way to ATA, uh, and that was FS7-2 versus FS5-2. And what would be, what's the better camera? Uh, what's our recommended camera? I have not shot an FS5, so I really, I can only speak to this with the technical details that I know about the FS5. Uh, so, Clay, you have shot both, I, I've right? I've shot both. I rented the FS5 and 7 for a year before I bought the 5. So, so you, you rented both. both of them for a year? Like, I rented them for projects within a year time span before I bought, on and off. Okay, so here are some of the main points but that is a difference between the cameras. I think the question yesterday was more about the FS7, what was the difference between like the FS7 one and the two and the FS5 one right. and the two? The only main difference not a big I know between the Mark one and Mark two of each camera <coughs> is the variable ND filter. Other than that, I don't think there's that big of a like giant advantage when it comes to buying one or the other between Mark one and Mark two. Yeah, the brains of the camera are essentially the same. I heard they added a color space. And all the rest were kind of cosmetic, correct? Button, sort of things button like that. type things, yeah. yeah nothing button major feel. Um, so, so besides that, then what is your take on an FS5 versus an FS7? Number one is going to be price, hundred yep. percent. Um, obviously, FS5 being cheaper. Number two is going to be size. I know you and I talked about this today. FS7 is mm-hmm. really the biggest camera you can get on a camera arm, especially the fourth arrow that you and I are using. Yeah, def- um, I think it's definitely pushing the limits of the fourth arrow. And then the Pros FS5, 100%, I am all in, I will tell everyone about it, is custom setting a button for center scan. You, you rub that in my face every time I we talk abso- about it. I rub it in the cab's face every time. Yeah. Now. A, a dedicated button for center scan, for center a scan. custom button Now, for if you're scan. not using center scan all the time, it's not... Something that you'll miss. What is center scan? So center scan, basically what happens is you're shooting on a super 35 millimeter sensor. And when you 
put the camera in center scan mode, you cut that, you crop that down to a Super 16 without losing any of the light capabilities. So you're collecting all of the light that a Super 35 does. You're just cropping the image in to a Super 16 size sensor and not losing resolution either. So practically, what are you what are you using that for? Um, well, I film on the 18 to 105. Mm-hmm. So when I cut that center scan in, it basically turns it into a 36 to 210 or whatever that whatever that math is that 1.6 crop is yep. without having to change lenses. I'm not losing resolution and I'm not losing light. Mm-hmm. So that is because I know Caleb and you. You got to go into the menu every time you do that. Yep. I've so gotten pretty good though. The only problem, I know exactly where it's the only at. problem <laughs> with the dedicated button is if I'm recording and want to punch in the center scan, I have to stop recording and then push the button. I can't do it while I'm recording, but that's not that big of a deal. No. Um, so, but I, I absolutely love that feature. As far as image quality, technical differences, what are we looking at between a, a five and a seven? Um. Technical, the biggest drawback FS5 is the, I have the Mark 1, but I, in order to get 4K, I had to buy the 4K upgrade. And when you shoot on the FS5 Mark 1 in 120 frames a second, all of the footage is being recorded to a buffer inside the camera. Mm-hmm. When you stop recording, however long, if you film three minutes of 120, and this is only from 120 frames and up. It doesn't happen at 60 frames, but only from 120 and up. Say you film a three-minute clip at 120 seconds. All three minutes of that clip is being recorded to a buffer inside the camera. When you stop recording, you have to wait for that three-minute video or clip to be transferred from the buffer in the camera to the SD card. And that usually takes the length of the clip. So The length can, of the clip... In real time or the length of the clip that it is now in high speed? No, in real time. So if it, you film for three minutes, it takes Correct. three minutes. So I bought the upgrade for that as well, so I don't have that problem. Um, but those are there's two. A so- there's a software upgrade to stop the buffer? Correct. It, it basically reroutes. It gets rid of the buffer, basically. Cost so me 500 bucks. What changed? It doesn't Nothing? Re- it doesn't record to the buffer anymore. It goes straight to the SD card, so there's no waiting. Why couldn't it? Yeah, no idea, but it works. Sounds very annoying Correct. to me. That that's basically just a paywall. Correct. It's one of those things that I I think that if you're going to make a camera and you're going to make it capable make of it, the things, make it right the first time. Just charge for it off but the bat. I bought my FS5 used, and I know Caleb is a big caveat of that. Um, but with the 4K upgrade and the 120 upgrade, it's still cheaper than a used FS5. FS7. That's what I meant. FS7. So I with, I got it with the lens, the eighteen to one, eighteen to one hundred five, and all of the accessories, the monitor, the body, and all that, plus the two upgrades. I was still shooting or under four thousand dollars, which isn't bad. I mean, I'm sure if you looked long enough, you could find an FS7 sure. under four thousand dollars. But, um. So the pros of an FS5 over an FS7 are going to be price point. It's going to be size and center scan. Uh, the dedicated button for center scan and the variable ND. The, only in the Mark One, right. only in the Mark Two. Right. The Mark Two, the Mark One does not. It still really? has. It still has the built-in NVs, but it doesn't have the automatic electronic ND from oh, walking okay. inside to outside where it switches automatically. But it still has the. The knobbed stops that you can turn to filter in front of the sensor. Okay, so the Mark One FS5 Mark One has the stopped ND filters. Correct. And the, the FS FS5 Mark Two has the electronic variable ND and the stops and the stops. The preset stops. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, Which so is, that's the same thing on the FS7. And you have S log on fives, right? Correct. Um, it, does it max out frame rate at 120? No, you can go up to 960. 960? At 720 frames. At 700, wow. or at 720 resolution. Wow. How many um, XLR inputs do you have? Two. Two? Mm-hmm. And do you get all both of those channels plus any more? What do you mean by any more? Do you get... Can you split those channels into other channels? Do you get hot shoe channels? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Well, the, the FS5 is a very capable camera. It is very. And I know you and I have talked about this briefly on the phone. I actually take the – I have a Ronin gimbal, hmm. and I will completely strip down the FS5 and put it on the gimbal. And then I will take the monitor and the handle and attach it to my Ronin and film all of my weddings with the FS5. Hmm. That's a pretty solid system right it there. It is. It's heavy, but the image quality is sexy. Yeah, so FS7-wise, it's going to be a little bigger. I honestly like the form factor, um, and that's just – I know a lot of people love the DSLRs, love the mirrorless rigs, love the smaller rigs. I have always filmed with a bigger rig. I ran an NX5U, and then I ran the FS – and am running the FS7. And I personally like having a bigger camera. Hand-holding um, an FS5 or a 7 is a lot easier than hand-holding a mirrorless right. camera. Yeah, I like the weight, and I like being able to hand-hold it. Um, and shoulder-mount it. And shoulder-mount it. The FS7 it. comes ready to be shoulder-mounted. The FS5 does not. The shoulder mount is a little uh, a little small. Like, it, it's... Just a couple more inches either way would be a little bit more Correct. comfortable for it. But for the most part, it's ready to shoulder mount. It's pretty ergonomic. Um, and the FS7 is a really capable camera. You can do 180 frames a second uh, out of the box. I I don't know if you can do more than that. I never have because in order to do more than 180 frames a second out of the box, it. you'd have yeah. to drop the I resolution. can do on the FS5, it'll do 120 out of the box. Just out of the box, it goes to that buffer. But I wonder if there's a difference in, uh, like, the megabits per second between the FS5 and I'm, the FS7. I'm sure because it's a Generation 1 and a Generation 2 camera. Yeah. So the 5, I think the 5 came out first. Caleb, the 5 came out before the 7. The 7 came out first. Okay. Well, then they might be the same megabits. This might be a Google question. I'm going to assume... Your FS5 Mark II and FS7 Mark II are going to be virtually the same camera, just in a different form factor, a smaller form factor. And the FS5 is a Super 35 sensor, right? Correct. And I actually took my FS5 and I bought a Smart Rig FS5 remote extension arm for $120 that came with the extension cord for the remote. And it plugs right into my camera, and now I can shoulder mount the FS5, just like you can in FS7. Yeah, that's the way to go. And I'm going to assume that carrying my FS5 on an airplane is going to be a lot easier than carrying your FS7 onto an airplane. Yeah, the FS7 isn't as travel-friendly as many other cameras yeah. are. Yeah, definitely not. It's got a lot of weird things that kind of stick out from it. Mm -hmm. um, um, and the FS5, it's, it's a bit smaller, not a lot, but um, breaking it down and putting it into like a Pelican 1510 or a Pelican Air um, is a lot easier than doing it with the FS7. I don't usually do that, but it is possible if you needed to. All right, so here's, I guess, a total breakdown of the differences between the two. Um, should we go over all of that? I don't know. It's a lot of really technical things. Yes. So that is the difference. If, if people want us to go into it, we can at a later date, but that's going to be yeah. one of those its own separate podcast. I, I would think so. I think that just look at look at what you're doing, look at what your budget is. The FS7 is going to have uh, just a few more options for you as far as I think I think it's got a little bit of an image quality difference. Mm -hmm. It's going to have a higher megabits a second. Um, it's a bigger camera. Um, something to consider with a bigger camera is if you show up to somewhere to a client with a big camera, it automatically helps bolster their view of of the production value correct now is there really a difference between what you can do with a seven or a five or a dslr no you no, still you have to be able to tell the story you still have to be camera. able to expose you still have to be able yeah. to compose all those types of things you're just going to what you're paying for in those cameras is you're paying for a more cinematography type look Mm -hmm. and you're paying for ergonomics and ease of buttons. Basically what those cameras are, it's a DSLR look with the audio and functionality of buttons of a camcorder, a professional camcorder. Right. That's basically what you're paying for. Right. Um, 
So because if audio wasn't a pain on DSLRs, everybody would run a DSLR. I would, but I would if you could get quality, easy, non-adaptable uh, audio XLR audio on a DSLR. I would cons- seriously consider running one. But getting good quality XLR audio on it is a problem. And then by the time you build out all the audio and the transmitters and all that. You might as well just run an FS7 or FS5 that's already built in and not have anything that can break. Yeah. So. Well, I I I think that's just a that's just a matter of doing your research, knowing Correct. what you want, knowing your budget, seeing what you can find. Um, really, they're both really capable cameras. So very. Uh, what was your What was your recommendation yesterday? All in all, Caleb. FS1 Mark 1. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said his recommendation yeah. is a used the FS7 only, the Mark 1. The only difference I know between the Mark 1 and Mark 2 between the two cameras is the electro- electronic ND. Other than that, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Oh, the FS5 Mark 2 comes with those updates that I bought for my Mark 1. Which it should. Yes. It better. <laughs> it should. It better. Uh, are there any other... Any other questions? Boss, anything you wanted us to cover? Anything you wanted us to cover before we get off? We got 55 minutes. We rambled. A uh, lot. A lot. Uh, hopefully we answered some of those questions. This was one of the, hey, we can't get into ATA and Caleb won't be here. We should do a podcast. And then we still couldn't get into ATA and Caleb was here for the podcast. So it really backfired. But. <laughs> <laughs> We we may have more ATA content. I'm sure there will be a post Badlands Film Festival rebuttal from yours truly, Caleb Copeland. Just just like there was last year. We we don't we don't we don't know 100 percent if we're going to do one of those yet. I would like to. It got such a great response I last year. To, I don't uh, know why there wouldn't be another one. I didn't get to do that last year. I am excited. I'm I'm excited to go to the. Film Fest. I'm excited to see if there are some films that are a little different. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy seeing the cool shots. Uh, I do. Film? Uh, so mean, Good doesn't always have to be good quality. Sometimes good just has to be different. Yeah. And, and I like seeing the good, the good shots. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, do I want to go watch 500 films that are just pretty shots put to music? And voiceover? Uh, no. But if that's all that there is, then I will... Uh, I will go there and accept the fact that I'm just there to watch pretty mm-hmm. shots. And it's going to suck because be I know you guys wanted to put something in, so being there and not having something in really sucks. But we've got, we've, we've got some ideas, and by we I mean Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb is uh, he's an idea man. He's He's got notebooks and notebooks he full of ideas. He should just cut the media business and just go straight to consulting. <laughs> <laughs> um, with that, I think... I think that's all. I mean, we're do we at 57. Need to ta- do we need to talk about the classes again before we get off? No. Okay. We are I we're still doing I I no, we can't. We're not going to talk about that right this second. Caleb is the one who has to talk about all that stuff. Uh there may be we were messing with the idea of maybe changing dates cuz there was there's a there's a potential project that we may be doing on on the dates that we had set uh but for right now we have not decided that officially so uh for right now we're going to operate on what we have what we have done what we've said earlier and if that changes we'll let you guys know uh as always you can find us on uh, Instagram at redneck tech podcast uh and then uh you can follow our other page which we don't shout out a lot but that is cope creative and uh we're posting to both of those we try to do it every day sometimes we don't but we try to do it every day and you can see some of our hashtag work in the wild you can hit us up on there ask us questions where can people find you clay uh clay currington is just my instagram handle and then uh vamped media productions is my business but i don't really post a lot on there unless i'm doing a lot of business work so so I go find Clay, give him a follow, hit him up. Uh, don't spam me, for the love of God. Please do not spam me. I will block you so fast if you spam me. You've basically just challenged them. That's fine. They'll get blocked. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I had a thousand followers at one point, and they started spamming me, and I blocked all of them. So, Clay, don't mess around, guys. No. <laughs> um, hit us up with your questions anytime. We're happy to answer them. If you like this podcast, if we are helpful to you, then uh, go to iTunes, leave us a review, give us a couple stars. And uh, if you don't like it, let us know. Let us know uh, how we can do better and give you guys better information. Um, And with that, we will talk to you guys next time.